You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. All right, Game Changer 6. Price strategies and stretching the top of the pyramid. So we talked a little bit about the fundamental idea that power in the marketplace is directly related to price and profit margin because, of course, it loops back to control what you can afford to spend or what you will willingly spend in order to acquire a customer. So price uh, becomes now critically important with everything that you do. So an extra dollar multiplied by big numbers is a big number. If you are in a small numbers business, then the extra dollar may be the make or break it to continue to sell what it is that you sell to somebody. In, in either case, small numbers business or big numbers business, any place we can, we can inch price, any place we can improve price, any place we can improve margin, we want to do it because at the end, we are always having a conversation about total customer value in whatever time frame you choose to measure that. So for some people, customer value may extend over three, four, five, seven years. For other people, it may only extend over three, four, five, seven months. For some very unfortunate people, it may extend only over three, four, five, or seven weeks. But however it is that you determine, you are going to set a time frame within which to measure total customer value, that number now dictates backwards everything that we do, can do, and can't do. It dictates whether we can have a meeting in a Ritz-Carlton or we have to be in a Marriott Courtyard. It dictates what kind of speaker we can have. It dictates how we package our product. And most importantly, it dictates what we can pay to acquire a customer. So we have sort of at the end of the rainbow this total customer value number, whatever that is. And by the way, you do need to know it. So a lot of mature info marketing businesses still don't even have this number. And this number backwards governs everything. But this number is totally dependent upon what we do with price all the way along the way. So if they'll pay nine instead of seven, that's important because that extra two bucks now affects total customer value. And if we find an extra two bucks in 50 places, we just improve total customer value by a hundred bucks. So like I had a private meeting today with one of my clients and we're having a conversation about the cost to acquire and the customer value and where all that is right now it's candidly marginal. You know, there's not a lot of profit left. However, with the same cost of acquisition, using the same media, if the total customer value was $200 higher, he, we would not have been having the conversation at all because instead of being an anxious and worried fellow, he would be an orgasmically happy fellow. Right? Well, it's rarely as simple as, hey, let's just raise the price buy 200 bucks and be done with it. It's rarely that simple, 
but there's lots of ways to increase the total customer value by a little price adjustment here, a little price adjustment there, a little price adjustment here, and it all adds up. So price is extremely important. At the top of the pyramid, the top of the pyramid money makes up for a lot of acquisition cost and a lot of handling of customers at the bottom. And so we always want to see if we can stretch the top of the pyramid one way or the other. In info marketing, typically, coaching and mastermind was probably one of the first means, first game changers, if you will, that info marketers began to use to stretch the top of the pyramid and get bigger dollars out of a relatively small number of their total customer base. So what you now know as commonplace, and many of you do, coaching programs of one kind or another, group delivery or one-on-one -on -one delivery, mastermind groups or quasi-mastermind groups that you now know of as commonplace. If you go back a decade in this industry, uh, they were not commonplace at all. Info marketers were sort of discovering them and figuring these things out for the very first time. And today, they are critically important to a lot of information marketing businesses. In fact, in some, the very first significant profit is in these two things, coaching and mastermind. In many cases, it is difficult to make your acquisition cost work for you without this somewhere in your business. And so, if you, to close the loop on power, so I have two clients, they're fundamentally in the same market. Uh, one f basically followed the other. They're fundamentally in exactly the same market, they're selling to exactly the same people, and they're basically selling exactly the same thing. Pretty much they're using exactly the same process. Consequently, they both have pretty much exactly the same acquisition cost. So in order to get a new customer for a first transaction, within a range pretty much whatever that transaction is, it costs them between $450 and $600 in order to get that customer for the very first time. One of them is in trauma. The other one is mailing as much as he can mail, as fast as he can mail. Same set of economics. The difference between the two of them is one, has three coaching upsells that occur immediately behind the first transaction, and the other one does not. So one is empowered and is able to mail hundreds of thousands of pieces of direct mail and is empowered to dominate his marketplace, and the other one is one step away from giving up altogether, and yet all of their numbers are fundamentally the same. So this can be very important. Sort of the next game changer that came along, which is more recent, but is a powerful trend, is the desire for and therefore the sale of done-for-them services. So I just had another conversation with a client, and after getting three-quarters of the way through the discussion, I said, you do understand you're moving from selling them what they want to selling them what they don't want. <laughs> Um, which may not be the direction you want to go. So 
most now want it done for them as opposed to learn how to do it for themselves. This even at the consumer level. So it's only been in the last five years that, it, that a really large portion of Home Depot's business has switched from selling to people who want to do it themselves to selling to people who want somebody to come to the house and do it. That was not choice. That was forced upon them by the market. And so done for them plays an important role in info marketing businesses now because it's what people want. But beyond that, it gives us a real big opportunity to play with price and profit and therefore power because if we have use of things that we are making money on, then we can again afford to spend more to get the customer in the first place. So I have a client, for example, in a industry, and we have devised for his coaching members um, actually a number of done-for-them services, but I'll describe one for you. So his customers' basic marketing method is bringing certain people to free seminars local in their local markets, bringing certain people to their free seminars, and out of those seminars, scheduling one-on-one -on -one meetings, and at the one-on-one -on -one meetings, uh, selling stuff. Okay? So if they're good, so many of them have two, 300 people a month going through their free seminars. If they're good, 100 people in a free seminar, they'll book maybe 30 of them for private meetings, thereby leaving 70 that don't get booked for private meetings. And it should be no surprise to you that what they do with the 70 is fundamentally nothing. Okay. Uh, Follow-up consists of something between nothing and dumping them back into their general database to get general mail. Okay. Even shown that it would be smart to do something a little more organized and proactive in follow-up, they all freely admit they aren't going to do it. So therefore, um, we have a follow-up system done for them, and they now, the next morning, their staff person takes the 70 and inputs them into the system, and their credit card on file gets whacked X dollars for everyone they've put into the system, and the customized follow-up stuff happens for them, and they now have follow-up done for them. On average, my client's netting about $10 per person run through the follow-up system. There are roughly 70 people in his coaching program using the follow-up system. So now somebody who's really good at math takes 70, multiply it times 200, times it by 70%. That's the number being run through the system every month times $10. Okay. It's a significant number. I can't even do it in my head, so you would need a device, and you're not supposed to have any devices. So on, at least at the moment, um, uh, except for Greg Luther, who's allowed to have his on because he's got a couple horses racing tonight at Batavia, and he needs to watch for the post parade for the race time so he can run out of the room and go watch them race. So he has a get-out-of-jail-free card. But uh, no, no one else is supposed to have their... Um, their uh, devices on, but it's a big number. 
Okay? And that's reoccurring automated revenue okay? on top of their coaching fee. And if you can build one, you can build something else. You can build another something else. You can build another something else, and you don't have to deliver any of it. There's a whole room full of vendors out there who will happily deliver all that stuff. And so look at what that just did to the economics of what can be spent to get a person into coaching in the first place. In fact, it almost makes the coaching revenue semi-irrelevant compared to the revenue that comes from all of the services. So this has become a very important part of this business. It is selling people what they want, and it changes the price, profit, power equation dramatically. It is, obviously, complicated. Whatever it is you do for them has to actually work. So the bad news of this part of the business is a, a switch from all the responsibility on your customer. Right? I teach you how to do something. You either go do it, you don't do it, you screw it up, whatever, your problem. I start doing it for you, my problem. Right? So the stuff has to work, <laughs> um, like really work. But if you crack that code, this is a very profitable part of this business, and it's a very important part of this business. Area exclusive and or franchising, um, about the same time frame probably, and it is not for everybody, but for a number of people in this room and a number of info marketers, this has become a very significant part of this business and a way to stretch the price at the top of the pyramid. You heard from Scott Manning, those of you who were in the session today, you heard about Air Exclusive, so I'm not going to belabor all of that. I will remind you, I imagine, because it had to have been said, but I will remind you of the main reason that it moves price up without creating commensurate cost because there is value or perceived value simply in being the only guy on the east side of Cleveland who can have this. So that's value out of thin air. A second linked type of value is not only being the only guy on the east side of Cleveland who can have it, but getting to deny you from having it. And there's perceived value in that. So in terms of stretching price, so I have one information marketing client, for example, in a niche who sells four different area exclusive programs. We have a member who, to the same profession, to the same niche, sells six different area exclusive programs. Some of his customers buy two, some buy four, some buy all six, some buy one. We have a titanium member who has three different ones in the same niche, and they automatically price one and a half times, two times, three times, four times, even five times higher than they would without area exclusive. Now, of course, the downside is I can only sell one to one guy on the west side of Cleveland. However, if I have seven different ones, I can sell seven to somebody on the west side of Cleveland. So this has become a way to really fool around with price to the advantage of the info marketer. I mentioned it almost as trivia, but the oldest of any of these game changers... So, Dr. John, you will remember 
<laughs> the oldest of any of these game changers is what's called percentage above base. And it's a long, complex conversation about its pros and cons that I'm not going to have with you. But I will tell you an anecdote that is instructive. So percentage above base in the world John comes from, for example, in chiropractic in the 70s into the 80s, was really common. So there were a lot of what today we would call coaching companies that then were called practice management companies who sold a one or two or three year, we're going to make your practice grow program based on percentage above base rather than set fee. So I had one of these companies as a client and did a lot of work with them. We put over 4,000 doctors through a program on an, at an average of $36,000 a piece in 1979. So I don't know what that is in today's dollars, but it's significant. So uh, it, we did that by using the lever of percentage above base. So here's how percentage above base works. The conversation goes like this. Um, okay, doc, so you did 300,000 bucks this year in your practice. And last year you increased year to year by 10%. The year before that you increased year to year by 10%. So we're gonna give you the 10 that you would get on your own. So that makes your base for next year $330,000. The rate of inflation is 10%. So it would deliver that to you automatically. So we're gonna give you another 10. So that makes your base $360,000. Now we're gonna do everything, no, no money out of your pocket. We're just gonna take 33% of the increase above base for the two year program that we're gonna deliver over the next two years. Okay? So it's no money out of your pocket, you just sign and we get started. Now, then we have the conversation of what that means you're going to pay me over the next two years, Doc. So our average increase is 2.8 times for a practice, so that means we're going to increase your practice from $300 to $730,000, and you got a base of $360,000. That means there's 400 grand, so you're going to pay us 120 plus 120. You're going to pay us $240,000. Now, you're not going to mind because it's $240,000 that just materialized out of thin air. We made it happen together. It doesn't exist now. So you're not going to mind paying the $240,000. However, you can prepay your way out right now for $36,000, which means you save $182,412. <coughs> and you can take care of it. Okay, so that's the conversation. Are you get it? And so... Truth be told, nobody really wanted a percentage above base client. What we wanted was a $36,000 prepay. The bad news is you wind up with some percentage above base clients, and as you might imagine, they are the weakest and the worst of the crowd because the strong ones are grabbing the $36,000 program. So that's the downside to it. But percentage above base was a big game changer, both in it allowed us, it allowed people to sell really pricey programs that without that frame of reference, you couldn't have sold it. If you had started out to sell a $36,000 program, you couldn't have sold it. They would all have balked. But within that frame of reference, it suddenly became eminently reasonable and, in fact, an incredible bargain. Right? So the bigger point, as an aside for a minute, the bigger marketing principle is one of the factors that governs price is the frame of reference in which you put price. 
And so if you can create a false comparison of one kind or another, of your own invention, you can make your real desired price seem eminently reasonable and or a bargain. So at Disney, where you can buy the $200 ball, the $200 rubber ball makes the $80 rubber ball seem eminently reasonable. Okay? Without the $200 rubber ball, the $80 rubber ball might strike somebody as a little pricey for a rubber ball. Okay? But that frame of reference is important. Now, you still couldn't do it if you weren't at Disney, which comes back to play strategy. But you get the point. Now, POB is not the only way to do that. But it is one way to do it, where you create. Another is a simple red herring. So Tom Morant, I don't think, Tom, I don't think Tom's here. If you are, yell real loud. No? OK. Um, so Tom Morant um, has coaching programs in de dentistry. And they're fairly expensive programs. And I worked with Tom for, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years. And so a few years ago, he was starting to bump up against some price resistance with, I think it's a 40, I think he's selling a $48,000 uh, pro program. And he was starting to bump up against some price resistance. We kept up at that price every year. So it was 30, then it was 39, then it was 42, and then at 48, he was starting to bump. So we invented the $125,000 program as an option with the intent that no one was going to take the $125,000 program, but it would make the $40,000 program seem eminently reasonable, right? To his shock and surprise, <laughs> uh, three took the $125,000 program. Now, the really bad news about that is because, of course, we didn't expect to sell it, we put stuff in it that we didn't want to deliver. Um, <laughs> which pretty much consisted of Tom going to their office twice during the year personally rather than sending an underling, um, excuse me, a senior consultant, um, <coughs> and uh, camping out with them for three days. And, of course, the first buyer practices in Italy. Um, so Tom's wife was fine with this situation, but, you know, it wasn't really a good use of his time. But that's like the simplest frame of reference is the red herring. Now, the only tricky part about that is you've got to make sure you don't make everybody think, if I can't have that, I might as well not have anything. So you've got to be careful how you structure it. But frame of reference allows you to push price higher than you could without the particular frame of reference. The last thing, a role of a distribution network. So some info marketers figure out ways to have their buyers okay, also be resellers of something on which they are making a margin or be connected to some company who will pay them for connecting them. Okay. So one of our new Titanium members, um, she's actually going to get it backwards so she right now, fundamentally, she recruits agents for life insurance companies and trains them for the life insurance companies in exchange for a production override. What, Mike Crow, what is going on over there? Um, 
I bet it's been doing it before. I just noticed it. Is that thing going on and off? It's just like the TV in the room. Um, so, uh, it, it, so immediately what we said to her is, that's fine, but you should be putting all those agents in a training program and a coaching program and have them paying you. So you're getting paid and you're getting an override on what they are selling. Right? So the converse of this is often somebody will have people in a coaching program. So, for example, I had a client for a number of years, works with the auto repair industry, has auto repair shops, owners in a coaching program, then finds and creates product for the auto repair shop owners to sell, the first of which was the ubiquitous discount coupon book, which they buy from him in quantity and resell. So now you're coaching member, your info marketing client is also your dealer, your distributor, or your sales rep for some kind of product or line of products, which you are now also making money on an ongoing basis on what it is they are selling, and you're getting paid to train and coach them to sell what it is they are selling. Again, this makes them more valuable, which now loops back to giving you power in the marketplace. So all of those things are important. The last thing about stretching the top of the pyramid and getting, getting large dollars toward the top. So historically, for many information marketers, that role was filled, maybe by some of these things I just showed you, but almost always by the event. Okay? The event the million-dollar weekend, was a very common thing in info marketing for a lot of information marketers for a number of years. And for a while, it wasn't, um, it wasn't even difficult particularly to do. Then it got difficult. However, there are still info marketers, in addition to us, who are still having million-dollar weekends. And so the event business is still, can still be an important part of this business and an important way to bring up total customer value. So sort of as an aside, very quickly, I thought I would talk to you about the game changers within the seminar, boot camp, and conference business because the seminar, boot camp, and conference really can be a part, an economic game changer for the whole business. So here they are. I'm on your page 23, by the way. So one is the celebrity, the Shamu the Whale. So it's about 10 years ago that I began with a lot of my clients getting them to add relatively expensive celebrities to the programs that had some relevance to what it is they were doing. Um, in some cases, a lot of relevance. In other cases, just barely enough relevance to justify them being there. Somewhere on that continuum is really okay. Uh, because uh, if they can't speak, you can interview them. In some cases, you don't even need to interview them. People just really want to meet them and have their pictures taken with them. Okay. And so, a who they will want a picture taken with can be an important thing. You will notice we worry about that a little less 
GKIC with the celebrity we put at an info summit than the celebrity we put at a super conference. It's more important for the super conference attendee. And it is a big thing. So how many of you were at the super conference where Gene Simmons was there? Okay. So anecdotally, I can assure you there were people there who the nudge that got them there was they were going to get to talk to and get something signed and take their picture with Gene Simmons. Now, that's only one of the values of doing this, but it is a value. It also affects mood, which affects on-site revenue. It also affects post-event buzz, which if you're selling something back into the same list based on. So there's lots of values to this, and it literally is a big change. It ups the ante. It ups the cost, but a big change in this business. So in four or five instances at the time that we first started to do this, I had info marketer clients whose annual boot camp or biannual boot camp was starting to hit a wall and the attendance was starting to drop. And we not only brought it back, but we brought it up bigger than ever with the, uh, with the celebrity star power added to the program. Um, the least relevant, I think, um, a stretch, if you will, was at one of our rents boot camps where we did the underground kind of spy theme, which I originally, Yannick and I created for his underground thing, and Yannick was okay with us borrowing it for dentists. Uh, one year we had uh, Robert Vaughn, who, for frame of reference, uh, where's Brittany? Where are you, Brittany? My titanium member, Brittany, where are you? Okay. Robert Vaughn was in The Man from Uncle. The Man from Uncle was on TV. Not on the web, TV. Okay? The first year, it was in black and white. Black and white is television without color. That's what that is. Okay? Um, Brit Brittany's young, and almost every reference I make, Brittany looks at me with a blank look. So I, I am now reduced to having to do this with everything I mentioned to Brittany. So Bob Vaughn was in The Man from Uncle, which most of the rest of you will remember or at least no. So there's the underground spy connection. But Bob really has nothing to say to dentists. He really has nothing to say, pretty much period, except <laughs> his story of his life as an actor. But it didn't matter. It allowed us to give away Man From U.N.C.L.E. memorabilia. It allowed us to use Man From U.N.C.L.E. language and the marketing piece. And really, everybody wanted to get their picture taken with Bob Vaughn with a gun like this in front of him, like on the man from Uncle, and it was so it was fine, right? Uh, another year for um, for Yannick, and I must say against my advice, uh, he had the little midget guy from Austin Powers, Mini Me. Um, was anybody at Yannick's seminar with Mini Me? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. So what's his name? Vern Troyer. So Vern has kind of a reputation of being difficult. Um, I mean, and mean, which I guess if you're four foot tall, it's sort of understandable. Uh, um, but, like, he does not have a good reputation. And Vern also has a reputation for drinking a little. Um, and when you drink a little, every minute. It, <laughs> By 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's added up, you know. Um, so my caution to him was, if you're going to use him, 
you got to assign a babysitter, and I mean that literally and figuratively, who will be with Vern from the minute he gets there until the minute you're done with him. And one of that person's jobs is don't let him drink. <laughs> um, so Vern wouldn't wear the mini-me costume, and he read the prize winners in the opposite you know, direction. And as I recall, on stage, Yannick asked him to make the little mini-me gesture, and Vern told Yannick to do something that is actually anatomically impossible. Um, um, uh, and so you do want to be a little careful about how you use this idea. Um, another game changer in seminars was and conferences was really turning them into three-ring circuses. So my early super conferences were three days of me and a couple of speakers. And that was it. No exhibit hall, no round tables, no breakouts, no receptions, no photo opportunities with celebrities. Seminar. That really won't cut it anymore. Um, and we began again to really boost attendance, on-site purchasing, year-to-year -year participation when we turned these things and not just for us, I mean now, but for my clients, into what I call three-ring circuses. And so that means there's a diversity of presentations, a diversity of activities, uh, fun, entertainment, stuff, surprises, prizes, receptions, all sorts of stuff going on. And the more we did that, the better the events did. Now, again, it complicates your life. You need more space. The logistics are difficult, but big game changer in the business. The theme park idea. So probably, again, six, seven, eight years ago, all my seminar marketing for all my clients began to be really heavily themed. Um, so um, for Rory Fat with restaurant marketing systems, and there's an example in your book, which... I'll show you in a second. I mean, so one year was circus-themed, um, and I mean really circus-themed. Like, we had Rory ride in on an elephant uh, to start the seminar. Um, we did a magic theme one year, and Dave D. made him materialize before everybody's eyes, um, sort of. Um, well, I don't think Dave will mind me revealing this, that trick requires the person who's going to materialize to be in a certain place at a certain time. Otherwise, you can't actually make them materialize because you really aren't making them materialize. <laughs> They're already there, you know. So Rory got himself locked out in the hall. And uh, um, it taxed even Mr. D's capabilities just a little bit. Uh, but the theme park thing... And so you see it, so the underground seminars for Yannick, the marketing, very themed, the experience itself, very themed, so spy stations, uh, spy briefcases, uh, the one we did in Washington, D.C., the night before event was at the Spy Museum, and there were Boris and Natasha from the Bullwinkle thing, 
walking around so everybody could get their picture taken with them. So um, if, all, if that sounds, ju uh, so somebody's thinking, geez, that's juvenile, and you know, my market is much more sophisticated than that, and they won't know. It is juvenile, but, but believe me, it matters. It, people want a really good reason to leave their house. And they don't want a one-dimensional reason. They want a multi-dimensional reason. So theming, um, kind of the annual convention feel brought to an annual boot camp so that there is a kind of, this is what everybody who belongs to this does. This is what we do. We go here. The best guys ever to do it were Parker in chiropractic. For many years, Parker was the thing. If you were a chiropractor, you went to Parker. That's what you did. And if you weren't going to the Parker event, everybody, other, every other doctor was asking you, what was wrong with you? Wait, 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 what do you mean you're not going to Parker? And in years where there were 30,000, 35,000 chiros, Parker would have four or 5,000 docs at this time because it was the thing you did. And so we try and create that with you um, where there's, these are sort of our annual conventions, and I try and do that for my clients as well. Extended marketing campaigns. Biggest single mistake people make with seminars and boot camps is they tighten the marketing time too short, they don't do enough steps, they don't do enough stuff to fill the seats. So we have a big sign in my conference room that says, seats don't fill themselves. Right. I mean, it takes a lot to fill seats successfully. If you're going to have a million-dollar weekend um, now, you've got to earn it. And you earn it in advance with all the marketing that you do. Ascension strategies so that in many marketing businesses, the attendance at a particular event is actually a step in their ascension ladder. So it is something everybody does as they move up. The most of the big events used to be what I call Tupperware parties. And by that I mean everybody was selling something every minute. Right? In many in info marketing businesses now, that has been stripped out almost entirely in favor of the entire event being choreographed in order to sell the info marketers' own coaching programs and or done-for-you services. And so you have a strategic choice to make kind of on that continuum when you build an event because there's different ways to monetize it. Key price strategies and innovations. They always existed in the conference business. A lot of info marketers didn't necessarily pay attention to all of them. We don't use all of them. But there's a long list of choices. Uh, and the bigger the event, the more choices you have. So, for example... Uh, the Blanchard Money Seminars for many, many years. The menu of optional add-ons, uh, you literally, kind of like at a ball game, I mean, you bought where you were going to sit. So you could buy preferred seating, you could buy front row seating, you could buy the cheap seats in the back, and you paid different amounts of money depending on where you were going to sit. You paid whether you were going to go to this reception, that reception, whether, like at Disney, you could get into the exhibit hall two hours ahead of everybody else if you paid a premium in order to be in there. So, like, you could go to the park two hours before everybody else if you pay a premium. Um, they had backstage passes. They sold, I think, the year I paid real attention to it, 
They sold 50 backstage pa passes for $10,000 a piece, and that allowed you to be in the green room, to be backstage where all the speakers were and bother the heck out of them uh, for the entire four, four days. By the way, this is not a very popular tactic with some of the speakers, um, particularly the speakers who weren't selling anything, uh, but, you know, a nice little chunk of change. Uh, so at the Peter Lowe events, at the success events, uh, we went from, uh, during the time I was consulting with Peter, we went from just the event to lunch with this speaker, lunch with that speaker, lunch with this speaker, breakfast before the event with Zig, paid photo opportunity with the last famous guy of the day. All of that got added on. So price strategies often have to do with what you add on. I believe I sort of invented in our field the pricing strategy around the bonus day. So instead of calling it a four-day conference, it's really a three-day conference, but then we sell the bonus day as a separate because it doesn't feel the same way as paying the higher price for the two things added together for the four days. Different kind of events, different kind of pricing. This is, this is a big game changer for a lot of info marketing businesses. So there are the big events like this. Another kind of event is the really small event. 20 people, 30 people, 40 people for three days working on something very advanced and paying a very high price in order to be there and everything in between. One-day events that are almost free, positioned as customer appreciation events to flush people out of your list who will not respond to anything else. But once they do that, they will start spending real money to come to real events. So some of the most sophisticated info marketing businesses I work with have six, seven, eight different kinds of events, all at different pricing, all being marketed during the same calendar year, and in some cases literally overlapping, and it doesn't make any difference one does not really get in the way of the other because they are aimed at different people for different purposes at different stages of development uh, as a customer. So the other thing about the seminar business um, and about that as part of an info business is list segmentation and different messages for different segments of the list, as I mentioned to you last night, becomes important. Here's sort of a basic way to think about this. You don't have this page. Don't go looking for it. Um, is recent attendees at recent events. That's a segment pretty much everybody has in their list if they've done recent events. Customers too new to have attended an event. <coughs> Customers who attended past events but not the most recent event. Long-term customers who've never attended an event. Driving distance to the event customers and the ubiquitous other. Now, the reason this is important <coughs> and can allow you to sell an event at a higher price than you could sell if you delivered a one-size-fits-all message to your entire list. Don't miss that point. Okay? Message to market match allows you to raise price. Okay? So it's an empowering factor. Okay? The customer who is too new to have attended an event he has different reasons for not attending than the customer who has attended past events but skipped the most recent one. And they both have different reasons for not attending than the long-term customers who've never attended an event. 
the customer too new to have attended an event, he may not want to come to the event put in front of him because he's too new. He's still trying to figure out the first thing you sold him. He feels like he'll be in over his head. He may be embarrassed. He doesn't want to be the dumb student in the room. All right? So that's in his way. That's probably not what's going on with a long-term customer who has never attended an event. Something else is going on with him. He may think he's too smart for the room. His time may be too valuable in what he does in his mind to ever come to an event. He may be afraid to fly. He may, who knows, but it's a different set of concerns. So if we position the event differently, we say things that directly address the concerns that the list segment might have. So how would the one-size-fits-all message guy handle all this? Here's how he would do it. He would have a piece of copy called Frequently Asked Questions and Answers. And he would raise all the questions for all the list segments, and he would answer them all in one piece sent to everybody. Right? The marketer who's not so lazy, who's looking for maximum results, will craft a different pitch for every one of these segments because why make them wade through the stuff that is not relevant to them when we can be directly relevant to them and if we get it right we can even raise our prices purely based on getting it right. That can be a game changer. In your examples by the way sort of as theme starting on page 31 I gave you one sample of seminar work and it goes for a lot of pages so you'll want to look at it on your own time but I just want to tell you what it is so its first page looks like this how would P.T. Barnum promote you and your restaurant okay. so in this campaign for Rory Fats boot camp to restaurant owners which that year was circus themed so we had we sent everybody boxes of animal crackers. I mean, the whole thing was circus themed. Um, and all the language was circused. Um, we had uh, Joe Vital. How many, I don't know how many of you know Joe. but So we had Joe as one of the speakers because Joe has a book about what P.T. Barnum would do to promote different kinds of businesses. And by the way, it's a very good book. I forget the title of it, but it's a great book. Um, and so... We booked Joe to speak for that reason on the P.T. Barnum topic, because, of course, if you don't know. Oh, Brittany. <laughs> a circus is a thing that comes, goes town to town to town. <laughs> and and there was, there's a Barnum and Bailey circus. The Barnum in that was a guy named P.T. Barnum. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, By the way, she has to do the same thing to me. Right? So really, we need a translator is really what we need. Um, so we have Vital coming to speak about Barnum. So as part of the copywriting work, as part of everything we did to promote this event, I took Barnum's stuff, and I took Joe's stuff, and I created a book of part of the pages in P.T. Barnum's voice and part of the pages in Rory's voice, about how P.T. Barnum would promote a restaurant. And there's some cool pages in there. There's actual, um, 
There's the introduction from Barnum in his own handwriting. Um, there's some exhibits. Um, some of these kinds. So there's, this is right out of one of Barnum's books. Okay? So first of all, I want you to understand, like, something like that's a lot of work. <laughs> okay? Creating that kind of a campaign is a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. It's kind of painstaking. I did it year after year after year with Rory's stuff. So the year we had Famous Amos, we built a book out of Famous Amos's quotes relevant to restaurant owners. So this, this whole thing was themed to the nth degree every step of the way. The campaigns, the materials, the stuff sent in direct mail boxes, the videos that were shown online, everything was circus themed. So I wanted you to see that. We'll do one more before we do a few unrelated things and take a break. So, game changer number seven. Some of you will really like this. So, media opportunities keep providing us with game changers. And certainly, online media... Some of you will want to listen closely because you're going to hear me praise online media. Um, we should have charged extra for that. Um, online media has given us all sorts of opportunities that no other media can. Okay? It allows us, for example, to do television without having to buy television that we can direct prospects to. Now, that's powerful. As an aside, I would say to you, it's more powerful if the economics of your business allow you to actually do real TV put into online media instead of crap TV put into online media. So there's a difference between shooting the video that you are going to use as online media with a flashlight and a smartphone um, <laughs> Uh, in a spare bedroom, okay, and actually producing a real show. <laughs> There's a difference. It matters because, by the way, once they're looking at it on their thingamabobber, it's TV. Okay? That's TV. And there are certain expectations for TV. There are certain things that work in TV. We know what works in TV very well. Okay? I've worked in the infomercial industry for 20 years. I know what works in TV. Okay? And you want to migrate... TV. So somebody today, during one of the private meetings, is showing me their video intended for online use. They're showing it to me on their laptop. <coughs> and it's okay. Right? Now, their transaction size is very big. They can afford some production right? for something that's important. But, I mean, it's okay. And you might not superficially notice that everything affects people subconsciously as well as consciously. It has jump cuts in it. So what a jump cut is, if you don't know, is when you shoot with a single camera, you have nothing to cover up and edit with. Okay? So all you can do is just make a sharp cut and shove the two pieces you know, together, okay? which immediately telegraphs to somebody that, that it was cut and pieced together and something was left out, 
which raises skepticism, not trust, because we wonder what they cut out. Right? That's why real TV is at least shot with two cameras, so there's a close-up and a distant shot or a two-shot, so we can cover the jump cuts. Right? That's why that's done. So a lot of online video looks like it was done with a single camera, which in fact it was, and the editing was done within the limitations of a single camera. Now, personally, personally, if I'm going to create my TV to be in my online media, <coughs> to sell something of significant value, or to acquire customers that are very important to me, and I plan on using it for at least a few months, right? and I realize online's not as evergreen even as TV. You know, even today, we can get two years' life out of an infomercial on TV. And for the most part, you're not going to get that in the online world, although I have a client with some online video that's now going on its third year, but it's probably the exception. But still, how important is it? How valuable is it? What's a customer worth? And then, how good of a job should we do with what we're putting in front of them? But now setting that little rant aside, online video is a very, very powerful media, and it is an opportunity that Al Gore delivered to us. The ability to do, the ability to pad your follow-up sequences. Very, very powerful. Not, however, to substitute for offline follow-up. That's a mistake. But to pad them. So we can now do 16 steps when before our economics would only allow us to do four. Okay, that's powerful. Opportunity to put content opportunity to create pain of disconnect. All of that represents game-changing opportunities for a lot of information marketing businesses. Now, for many information marketers, the opposite is true. So I think I told you last night, if you look at the folks that I affectionately and respectfully call the Internet pirates, um, the famous and infamous massive internet marketers, whose names I will not name, but most of you would know them. Um, I said last night that one sort of irony in almost all of their lives is that they actually do a whole lot of manual labor in order to drive the sales of their businesses. Right? Um, so the guy selling you automated webinars has the cure for cancer and everything else that ails you um, is running around doing seminars about automated webinars, which if, if, if that's not ironic, I do not know what is. Um, and in some cases, he's actually flying all the way to Asia in order to do the seminar uh, to sell the automated webinar, which allows you to stay home and make money while you sleep. Um, um, but the other interesting thing about them all is that, that they are all, some quietly, some grudgingly, some in intense pain, they are all of late using more and more direct mail. Right. Um, almost to a man or woman, they are using what they call stale mail. Some of them have had to be shown, you know, what an envelope is and how paper folds and, you know, they had to go, they had to, go to that class, you know. Um, 
but they are using it, as are, by the way, most of the big e-commerce companies using direct mail. And for them, in many cases, it's becoming a game changer. Okay? It's new to them. It's a revolutionary breakthrough in their business. They are discovering you can sell stuff for bigger dollars if you take your prospect and your sales process offline. They are discovering you can take people who came to a webinar, didn't buy, and mail them a sales letter based on the transcript of the webinar, and they'll buy from that. This is shocking news to many of these folks. <coughs> it is not shocking news to me. Because still, still, the media that drives more commerce than any other media in America is direct mail. And so it can be a game changer in a business many, many ways. And sometimes it doesn't have to be very complicated. Somebody just sent this to me. Oh, Jerry Jones just sent this to me. So Jerry sells um, a variety of things to dentists including basically a membership called the Clear Path Society. And Jerry's a very sophisticated direct mail marketer. But here's an example of how as unsophisticated as you can possibly get. So he sent this by mail, folded up as a self-mailer with their name on the outside of it, to the dentist on his list at Halloween. Um, so this went to... Um, um, let's see here, 570 hand-selected clients, um, and uh, it brought in $150,000 in sales so far. It's a flyer with a witch on it <laughs> and a haunted house on it. Uh, Brittany, you know what that is? you know what that stuff is? It's clip art. Clip art. I actually have clip art books. Books. So does Jerry. You take them off the shelf. Uh, and I'm serious. I guarantee you this is what Jerry did. And you make a photocopy of that haunted house and you put it down there with glue. That's what you do. And I guarantee you that's what he did. Okay. Now, this was a Halloween flyer. See, what I just said to you is a lot more scary to you than anything we could have done on Halloween. But sometimes if you're at my house, you can actually see a whole wall of clip art books. It's remarkable. Um, so print and direct mail, I mean, that's pretty good ROI, wouldn't you think? Print and direct mail are still game-changing media when applied in a variety of ways. By far the biggest, of course, is online-offline, offline-online integration. So a model that is for a lot of info marketers, is driving an enormous amount of revenue, is lead generation offline, drive them from offline through an online sales process, and take them back offline for the final sale, the final part of that process, and to deal with them afterward to ascend them, develop them, whatever. Broadcast should not be ignored. Okay? Now, if you're in a niche, you can't. But if you are mainstream in any way, if you are dealing with a large public audience, you should not ignore broadcast. Okay? Direct response radio, so Laurel Langmire, for example, who's a money 
personal finance kind of person. Business is driven by radio. Is Fred in the room? Katona, are you in the room? Yes, no? Yell loud if you are. You are about to get a plug. So when you see Fred tomorrow, anybody who knows Fred, you tell him, I was about to do a commercial for him, unsolicited and unpaid, and now I will not. Um, right? He's probably in a bar, and so just like in Vegas, he just had a $50,000 drink. Um, so setting the commercial aside, so uh, teching anxiety, um, direct response radio, lead generation on radio. Okay? Radio, like print, like magazines, very defined audiences. Okay? We know who listens to what station. If you can analyze your own customer base, you can match them up. In radio, you should not write it off. Human, um, my least favorite media. Um, I said to somebody in a private meeting, I'm all for it if you are willing to endure all the pain and agony of dealing with humans. Um, however, the game changer in many information marketing businesses of the last handful of years has been the one-to-one -one telephone sales call. And so you see a lot of info marketers using some version of the diagnostic consultation call, often positioned as a benefit of the first transaction you buy. And that consultative diagnostic call almost always ends up with the same prescription, which is whatever it is they're selling. Right? It's a sales call. Also, outbound telemarketing to fill events, to follow up on coaching leads. This is now a very significant part of even niche information marketing businesses. So my position on it a decade ago was, and so in my platinum meetings, Ron Legrand, and Ron may be here. Are you here? Yell loud. Yeah. There you are. There you are. So Ron Legrand, who if you don't know Ron, um, you want to meet him soon because, you know, he's old. Um, <coughs> um, so, you know, Ron and I are very old warriors in this game. And Ron is a leader in the, again, what I affectionately call the get rich in real estate industry. He has a different name for it, but mine's more accurate. Um, so Ron was in my platinum group for, I think, every single year, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, no? Every single year. And at some point in every platinum meeting, the same conversation occurred. Mm -hmm. Because Ron's position about outbound telemarketing has always been, it is the cure for anything. So Halbert used to say, you can solve any problem on earth with a great a sales letter. Ron would say, you can solve any problem on earth with great telemarketing. So if somebody in a meeting said, I've just been diagnosed with cancer, uh, Ron would begin to talk to them about how to set up a phone room. Okay? This, was, this, was, this was what went on in my meeting. And my position was, particularly for niche info marketers, that it ought to be, if it has to be there at all, it ought to be the last resort 
and the need to do it, more often than not, signifies flaws in your other marketing and sales process. Right? My position on it of the last few years is entirely changed because the conditions on the ground have changed. And so my position now is, if you are willing to endure the pain, there is no way you can justify on an ROI basis not having it as part of your information marketing business. Right? And in many cases, it is essential to your information marketing business to be able to afford the kind of customer acquisition costs you are going to encounter. If you are coaching, running coaching programs, delivering how-to information month to month to your customers or clients, if you're in that environment for very long, you will have a frustration that everybody who coaches and provides methodologies has and voices to me. And it is, hey, they're unhappy if they don't get something new every time we're together, even though they got 18 things that work fabulously well, they're only doing 12 of them, and they're doing them half-assed. So really what we ought to do is we ought to spend a bunch of time working on the 18 they already got, but they're all unhappy if we don't give them something new. Right? And that, if you don't already have that frustration, and you are in or embarking on coaching, you will have that frustration. There are two approaches to it. One is to try and convince them that they should focus on the 18 they already got, and let's work on using the 18 that work really, really, really well. Or you can take the approach that will make your business sustainable and profitable. And that is uh, to give them what they want, which means you better bring something new to the table often. Right? Now, a layer above that is the smarter your customers, your members are, the more successful your customers or members are, the more you need to bring them stuff that can be real game changers in their businesses that are beyond what they've seen or thought of before. Now, you're in, you're in like the right place to find them. So you hang out with us. You'll have plenty of stuff to take back to your folks and say, look what I found. Look what so-and-so is doing in their business. But that's what you need to do. So we are always looking for, and I counsel my clients to take to their people stuff that has a big wow factor, that's innovative, and that elevates the sophistication of the marketing or the customer service of the people they are coaching. When you elevate people's sophistication, you really fascinate them and can keep them interested in you. So I wanted to show you an example. Um, so I have a client um, with whom I co-coach 
a group of high-end financial advisors. And they're all pretty sophisticated in what they do already. Um, and they're all high-income earners. So two of the things we talked to them about, one of the things we talked to them about is show up like no one else shows up to their clients. And the other thing we talked to them about is you need to welcome your new client in a way no one else has ever welcomed your new client to anything before in their entire lives so that they are motivated to tell other people, they are motivated to refer, and they are obligated to refer. So we teach them the welcome package concept of what's going to happen when this new client now hands you a half a million dollars of their money that they have in CDs or 401Ks or under their mattress and gives it to you to manage, what happens? How are they welcomed to the client family? So that's one of the things we teach, right? And we showed showed them some examples. So I want to show you what one of these financial advisors went home and built as a result of this concept. And it's a little difficult to do up here, but I'm going to make an attempt. So it is this box which is actually gift-wrapped with gift-wrap with his company logo woven into the gift-wrap. It's kind of gold, and it's got a green ribbon on it with dollar signs and his logo on it. And when you open this thing up, there's all this gold paper in it. And then you begin to take things out. And this is now a mess because I've messed it up five or six times showing it to people. So the stuff isn't really in the right order, but I want you to see it. So there are, I think there's six. I've lost one somewhere. So there are, and they're really nice leather coasters embossed with the logo. And the coasters make sense. And there's a sixth one. The coasters make sense because there are two, I'm not going to take them out, really nice wine glasses embossed with the company logo. There's a really, really nice bottle of wine, which I don't have here. <laughs> there, are, there are two sleep masks embossed with sleep well at night with the company logo, because now that you've given me all your money, you can sleep well at night. Okay? There's, what the hell that is? There's this really nice money-colored blanket to go with the sleep mask, embossed with the company logo, and each one is embroidered with the client's name on it. Okay. There's a cover letter, welcome kit enclosed, and it tells them everything that's in the welcome kit. And so I've probably lost some of this now. What are these? These are, I made a joke about these at the meeting. I wasn't too sure about these. Um, these are, see these things? They look like paddles, kind of. Um, um, what is this? Thank you. It's a fan. Uh-huh. Okay. There's a, this. Oh. There's a refrigerator magnet with the list of their client wine events for the entire year that you can come to if you're a client. There's a, let's see what else is in here. There's the blanket, the sleep masks, uh, bookmarks, the glasses, uh, playing cards. These are all logoed, you understand. Oh, the glasses have the company logo on it, and they're also engraved with the client's name. Um, 
there's a little box of whiz-bang tea. Um, there's the wine event calendar. There's a nice pocket calendar. And there's a certificate for a magazine subscription, their choice of a magazine subscription. So that's everything that's in the kit. And wait a minute. Oh, yeah, so here's the choice of the magazine subscription so they can pick which magazine they want and send that back in or drop it off at the office, and they get their magazines. So that's everything that's in their client. And then, oh, this is the tea. This kind of looks like a bag of grass, actually. But so, And that was my joke. You know, these clients are 68 to 72, so a bag of medicinal marijuana would really probably be a, you know, a good idea. But um, so... When the client joins the family, out comes this box of stuff. Now, has anybody you've ever bought anything from welcomed you with anything like that? Never, right? Never. And so, so we teach that concept to them, and that elevates the sophistication of what they do. And now this guy ran home and did it, and did it magnificently, Brought it back to the next meeting, of course, to show everybody and to report on the fabulous results he's getting. Okay? And now everybody in the group is trying to one-up him. And so they're all, we've got a meeting coming up with these guys, and I assure you four or five of them are going to bring in things that are even more extravagant and elaborate than this. But when your transaction value is $20,000, understand you can afford to do some of this stuff. So... The point is not the thing, although I thought you would find the thing interesting. The point is to find or create things like that to teach, to share, that just blow the minds of and get excitement and interest and fascination and elevate the level of sophistication of the people that you are coaching. So just as you want game changers... They want game changers. The follow-up system I described to you earlier is a game changer for them. Uh, we had Dave D. come to one of their meetings, and Dave does not just entertain. Um, Dave has a terrific program, the psychic uh, salesperson that he does. And it, for those of you who know what cold reading is, it has some cold reading elements, it has some NLP elements, and it essentially enables, in this case, the financial advisor to sort of read the mind uh, of the prospect without a deck of cards or a magic trick or a raccoon. And so we have Dave come in and do that program for them, and that's showing them, you know, something more sophisticated than what they have been shown by anybody else at any other time. That's really the objective. Because when they get really involved in using these kind of strategies, they can't wait for the next one that you're going to bring them and blow them away with. Okay. Game changer nine. This maybe is my pet. And it is that nothing matters more than source. So, the truth is, some customers are better customers than others. Not all customers are equal. They may have been created equal, but they aren't equal by the time you and I get them. And so, source, where they come from, 
how they get to you matters a lot. And if you track results properly in your business, you will begin to determine where the best behaved, highest customer value people come from, and where the worst behaved, lowest value people come from. And that may be a media difference, it may be an affiliate partner difference, maybe there's three trade shows in your industry, and the leads that come from all three of them, I promise you, are not equal. In most niches, there are multiple trade journals. They are going to the same people. You would think they would all perform identically, but I can tell you almost without exception, when results have been accurately tracked in every niche industry, the leads from one trade journal turn into better customers than the leads from another trade journal. I cannot even necessarily tell you why that is. I can just tell you that it is. And so there's a hierarchy of customer quality. Okay? I can tell you, for example, in general, in our business, high on that list of sources of best customers are the people who bought a book in a bookstore. Okay? And that's how they found their way here. That's, that's a real high-quality customer. And if you think about it, there's a logic to it, right? Before we got them, the person had to get in a car, they had to go to a physical bookstore, they had to roam around looking at books, they had to pick something, they had to pay for it, and they have to be, they have to be able to read, and they have to read. Okay? Well, those are, those are big issues, by the way, if you're in the information marketing business. Can they read? Will they read? Okay? That's kind of important. It's hard to sell to them if they won't. It's very hard to sell a $15,000 seminar or coaching program with a 146-character tweet and a drawing. I mean, maybe it's not impossible, but it, I promise you it's tough. So if they can't read or they won't read. So that gives us, like, one of the very best customers. Now, that may not be true for you, but it is true for us. So there will be a hierarchy in your business. And you want to pay attention to it because you want to weight your resources to the sources that give you the best customers. So those of you that do a lot of affiliate marketing, as we do at Glacier Kennedy, all affiliates aren't equal. And the affiliate who can bring you the greatest quantity may not be, and often is not, the affiliate who brings you the greatest quality. Okay? And once you determine that, you want to weight your resources to buy quality, not necessarily to buy quantity. Okay? So a big game changer in information marketing is choosing better. Now, piece of bad news. Big thumb rule. The better the quality of the customer, the more it costs to acquire them. So the cheapest customer to acquire is the worst customer with the lowest customer value. Conversely, the best customer with the highest value is often the most expensive customer to acquire, which loops back to a central point of this evening and last, is you've got to be in a position to spend more to acquire your customers so that, in this case, you can get to quality. Now, the other thing that's important is right bait to right critter. Okay. So the example I usually use is 
if you want your backyard to be full of Bambis for you to look at through the window when you have your morning coffee, okay, you don't put a 500-pound block of cheese out there. Okay? You will have a backyard full of rats. You will not have a backyard full of deer. Okay? Conversely, if for some reason you want a backyard full of rats, um, then, then you do put cheese out there. You don't put a big salt lick out there because rats don't like salt. Okay? So you have to have the right bait for the critter you want. Okay? So for example, a lot of very affluent people, if you put a hardcore make more money promise in front of them, that's not the right bait for them. They're already making a lot of money. That's not on their top five list right now. They have other issues that are of far greater interest to them. On the other hand, if you put a have a better lifestyle, take more time off, play more golf, spend more time with your family promise in front of somebody who is living hand to mouth and is one step away from having the lights turned off in their business and their car repossessed out of the parking lot, they are not particularly excited about that message. And it's more nuanced and sophisticated than that. So right bait for right critter. There is a thing in, in marketing in general and information marketing in specific that I call reverse engineering. And that is knowing so much about your highest value customer that you can go find those commonalities in various sources or segments of lists or media and specifically target the customer who matches your highest value customer. A related game changer is access to other people's best customers. Okay? There's really nothing better than acquiring clumps of customers at a time who have already been sifted, sorted, taught how to buy, trained to buy, made to behave well, have become serious students. Nothing beats that. Okay? And you can afford to pay a lot of money to get through that toll booth and have that kind of access. So a mistake a lot of people make with JVs is they are trying to do, pay the person who owns the customers and controls the access what? as little or well, nothing, um, as little as they possibly can. So they approach this the same way they approach media. How little can I get by with? Really, okay, you at least got to be willing to part with the same amount it costs you to acquire a customer on your own, which, of course, is a number you have to know. So at least you ought to be willing to pay if he's going to let me at his customers and they're my customer, they're, I want his customers, I ought to at least be willing to give them the same amount of money it costs me to go create a customer from scratch. So people will often ask me about JVs and access to other, what's the standard formula? It's such a terrible question. Okay? First of all, there isn't any, but even if there was, so a lot of people think it's like 50-50. Okay? It's such a dumb question. Okay? The right question is, if I want access to his customers, what can I do 
what can I offer him? What can I put on the table that will make it irresistible for him to say yes to me, to cooperate with me, and to do everything I want him to do in our shared little promotion or venture? That's the correct question. So for many years, for nine years actually, I spoke on the big success events. Um, fewer and fewer people, as we all, as I age, you know, came from there who are in the room. But some of you, that was your point of origination uh, with us. And so these were these big events. We had them in sports. They exist today. They're under the brand of Get Motivated instead of su Success. But they're an all-day big thing. There's 25,000 people at the start of the day. And there's a bunch of famous people. And then there's guys like me and Zig and Brian who sell stuff. So I did 25 to 27 of those every year for nine years. And on a really good day, because I'm last guy following the last famous person, everybody's leaving, it's, a, you know, it's not a great, actually, environment. On a good day, I would maybe move, let's see, I would do, say, $200,000 in business divided by $287 is what? So if it was 200, it'd be 1,000 units, right? So it's like 800 units, okay? So I do six, seven, 800 units, okay? On a bad day, I do 300 units, okay? They started the day with 25,000 people in a row, okay? So that's 24,200 people who didn't buy, okay? A huge number of them didn't even stay, so they didn't even hear me, okay? Now, unfortunately, they didn't have all the names of all the people in the room. They only had the room of the ticket buyers, so you bought a ticket, maybe you brought five people, but at least we got your name. So I went to, I went to the owner of the company, the, my client, and I said, I want to mail every name you got of everybody who was there and didn't buy my thing. And I want another whack at them. Right? And I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you the same split we're getting, you're getting from what I sell when I'm there on manual labor, and I'll pay all the costs. Right? So I did that for seven of the nine years. Right? To several of the other speakers on the program, I said, you know, you should be doing this. Here's what I'm doing. Right? It ain't rocket science. I took the speech. I had the speech transcribed, I turned it into the sales letter, and I added a paragraph that said, you didn't buy my stuff. You get a second chance. <laughs> and I sent it to him. And here's the deal I made with Peter. Guess what everybody said? Oh, that's way too much money. I would never do that. You know? I'm pay all, you're paying all the mailing costs? You, that's... Uh, we won't even make any net profit. I know. They all objected to the money. Had Peter asked for 100% of the money, he could have had it. I just chose not to volunteer it. But if he had asked, why? Because I wanted the customer, and it would cost me more than $287 to go get that customer from scratch anywhere else. So why wouldn't I happily? I'm giving him, I'm giving him 150 plus I'm, I'm a happy camper. This is like a great deal. Right. So 
You want to, you want, when you spot customers who are a great fit for you that somebody else has, and they already have them all rounded up, and they already have communication with them, and they already have relationship with them, man, you want to get after them, and you want to do anything you can, at least to the point of the same cost you would pay to get a customer some other way. I can make a case for, if you have to, going above that cost. Why? Because it's faster. You're paying for speed. He can deliver a whole bunch of these customers all one time. If I go get them on my own, I got to get them one at a time. Think of what I got to do. I got to do lead generation. I got to drive them through a funnel. I got to have a follow-up campaign. I got to create a webinar. I got on and on and on and on and on. So I can buy speed. And I know I'm buying quality. Because who am I going to get? I'm going to get his best buyers. That's who's going to buy from me too. So I can make a case for spending even more. Here's an example. Many of you have seen it before. I'm not going to spend time on it. I'm just going to mention it to you, but you have it in your manual. It is such a great example of how important source, selectivity, and discrimination is. And I like to show it because it comes from a source from someone who many people would be surprised was so predatory. So your page 42, it's back in your samples. It looks like this. It's out of a book. If you don't own and haven't read the book, here's homework. Okay? Uh, this is a marketing book. Okay, so how many of you know Pastor Rick Warren who wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life? Right? Okay. By the way, former associate, he's one of our members. He's here. He's in my titanium group next year, Nelson Searcy. Um, so, um, so Rick Warren has another book that you should get. Right? It's called The Purpose Driven Church. It's for pastors. And it's really a marketing book. It's a book about how to market a church. Right? And most info marketing businesses have a lot in common with a religion. Right? And most local businesses have a lot in common with a church. Right? So you should get this book because it's brilliant. Right? And in it, you will find this page, which is a profile of who their church's ideal prospective customer. What's the right word, Nelson? Parishioner? Soul to be saved? What, what's, we don't call them customers. What, what's the right word? Member. Okay? Member. So this is a profile of their ideal member. Okay? One of the things that's interesting about the profile down here is he is skeptical of organized religion. So their best prospect, right? Then, even more telling is the next page, which is your page 43. This page alone is worth the price of admission. All right? That's how good this is. So the headline at the top says, knowing whom you can best reach. That piece of advice about our business is worth the price of admission. Knowing whom you can best reach. And worrying very little about those you can't reach. So, if I 
am Dan, you know, Herman Cain running around saying, let Herman be Herman, right? Which apparently a few years ago in his office at the National Restaurant Association was not such a good idea. But on the campaign trail, on, on, on the campaign trail, it, it, it's a good idea. Um, so if I let Dan be Dan all the way, I really resonate with certain people and I really repel other people. And that's fine. That's the way to do this business. We had, I was having a conversation with somebody on the break about this. And Sydney, I quoted you to him because it's a great quote from Sydney. Uh, so let me make sure I get it right. If I screw it up, you can correct me. Uh, so Sydney Barrow's quote is, um, um, those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. All right. About you being you. All right. So knowing whom you can best reach. All right. If you really know whom you can best reach, that's a game changer in your marketing. So look at their list. Okay? And think for a second about not only how discriminatory this is, how predatory it is. Right? So, people, number three is people going through a divorce. Number six is the terminally ill in their families. Now, you understand, you understand this conversation, right? Um, just read an article in the newspaper about somebody in the community who's terminally ill. Oh, boy. <laughs> Prospect! Okay. Um, with good motives, you understand. I'm not... So, number seven... Couples with major marriage problems. Hmm? Number eight, parents with problem children. Number nine, recently unemployed or those with major financial problems. Think about how predatory that list is for pastors, for people of the cloth. This quote, growing churches focus on reaching receptive people. Non-growing churches focus on re-enlisting inactive people. Okay? And here's his, so if you want his justification, it's on page 44. Okay? And it's brilliant. Okay? So I was going to read it because it's brilliant. Jesus taught the parable of the sower and the soils that spiritual receptivity varies widely. Like different kinds of soil, people respond differently to the good news. Some people are very open to hearing the gospel and others are very closed. In the parable of the sower, Jesus explained that there are hard hearts, shallow hearts, distracted hearts, receptive hearts. We need to plant our seed in the good soil. The, this is the great line. This is one of the best lines. The message of Christ is too important to waste time, energy, and money on poor soil or non-productive methods. We need to be strategic. Right? Well, take him out and put you in. Okay? Right? Right? The message of Dwight <laughs> is too important to waste time Energy and money on poor soil. It's okay. I made the comparison. You didn't. Everything will be fine. Okay? Um, if lightning's going to strike, it's me, baby. It's not you. Okay? Um, so if this is important for them, it's important for all of us. Okay? The waste 
of resources on poor soil. It's the quickest way to go broke in this business. It's the source of great frustration in this business. It's the, re it's the revealing of poor strategy in this business. It's the game changer not doing that. Investing resources in good soil. Game changers 10 and 11. <coughs> so 10 is a new message, a big message. Arriving as no one else has or does. So don't flip to it now, but when you get home, you'll find pages in your sample section starting at 45, page 45, that show you the opening gambit campaign for my client, Matt Segula, in the financial advisor sector this year, which has been fabulously successful. And you will see we built it all around one big idea, which was how to create trust. Now, the reason we picked it is we went through a year of all the trade journals, and we looked at every ad that was selling any kind of information or training or seminar to this market, and we made a list of everything that was their big ideas, which most of their big ideas were, probably no surprise to you, how to, how to attract more prospects, how to get more leads, okay, how to make better presentations, how to close, how to close people that don't want to buy, okay, and technical product kind of stuff. How to know so much about the whiz-bang, 14-layer, Cayman Islands trust thing that you will mesmerize. So those were all the pitches. So we knew we weren't going to do any of them because we wanted to arrive as no one else was arriving. And we knew we needed a big idea that nobody else had brought forward. So you can look at all that stuff at your leisure and you will see that we got it right. I call it differentiation on steroids. All right? So my client, Jay Geyer, in dentistry, so Jay's business was built on a big idea, which no one else at the time was really delivering. And so the big idea was, you don't need to advertise, you don't need to market, you don't need to promote, you don't need to do anything you don't want to do, you don't need to go outside your office, and you don't have to spend any more money in order to at least double to ten times the practice. Right? All you got to do is fix the way your phone's being answered. All right? If we fix that, that's all we got to do. Everything else can stay the same, and here's all the statistics and evidence and so forth to prove it. Very big idea. At the time, no one else was telling this idea to the profession, and he found a way to tell it in a convincing and compelling manner. Therefore, he had differentiation on steroids. Okay? Game changer 11. The right point of entry. So how they start has a great deal to do with what they'll be worth and how they'll behave after they start. So for many years, so how many in here, and you'll learn more looking around than you will looking at me, how many in here you're like, first product was magnetic marketing? Raise your hands. Okay. 
You can put them down now. Steve, you can put them down now. Um, desperate for attention, aren't you? Um, so that was a lot of hands. That product was engineered from the ground up uh, by a guy named uh, Jerry Ballinger, who is deceased, and I, was engineered from the ground up to be the perfect point of entry product. That was its purpose. Okay? And so there are many things about that product. And the testament to its effectiveness is that all those hands just went up. And many of those hands went up attached to people who've been with us for a long, long, long time. So it not only produced good customers, it produced lifers. So there's many things about that product. One is it's relatively narrow focused. Another is pretty much anybody can go home, take something out of it. They don't need a lot of smarts. They don't need a lot of creativity. If they'll just sort of fill in the blanks and get it in the mail, they'll get some results. Okay? They may not get great results, but they'll get some results enough to be encouraged. Okay? We call it the small victory process. Is get them a small victory. They'll be encouraged. Okay? So you've got to make it easy. You've got to make it simple. You've got to make it kindergarten. Um, there's a lot of reselling built into the product. So this product was engineered from the ground up to be a point of entry product and to do certain things well for the brand new customer just discovering me for the very first time. And it served its purpose very, very well. The converse of this is most people in info marketing do not think about that strategically at all. Okay. Instead, their front-end offers, first of all, are all over the place. What do we got? Let's sell that. Okay. Let's change the offer up this month, and we'll sell that. This is hot, so we'll sell that. Okay. It is, the, the offer is not strategic as point of entry. The product is not strategic as point of entry. There's no real thought about, hey, this is a point of entry. This is someone who is walking through a door into your place, and in most cases, they are arriving as a stranger in a strange land. Okay. And things don't make sense to them. And they bought, they mustered up enough optimism to buy but remember, their optimism started to fade right after their purchase. So three, four days after the purchase, they may not be very optimistic at all. Instead, they have all sorts of skeptic questions. Will this work for me? Will this work in my business? I don't know. And so the product has to be built to counter those situations. So strategic thought about where they start. And by the way, why am I up there and this thing isn't up there? Um, Who's running that thing back there? So strategic thought about where they start is critically important. I have a magnetic marketing story update for you, too. Now you can put me back up. Um, so in last month's newsletter, the newsletter before or whenever, um, I mentioned Keith Lee's 
It's a member of ours. 3D Mailings is also an exhibitor. There they are. You can't miss those guys because of their shirts. Sam? One of them's Keith. The other one's Travis. Um, anyway. Um, so if you remember in the newsletter, there was Keith's story about starting out with magnetic marketing. So he sent me an update. So there's more to the origin story. When I bought magnetic marketing, I was a volunteer ski patroller here in Washington. We had responsibility for the mountain from Friday night to Sunday night. I lived about an hour's drive from the mountain. On the Friday night after I bought magnetic marketing, I headed for the mountain with the tapes playing in my car tape player. Brittany. <laughs> when, I, when I got to the mountain, I remember saying to myself, crap, I'm already here. The mountain closed at 10 p.m., and by the time we were done sweeping, it was about 11. I jumped in my car and headed home with the tapes playing, and when I got home about midnight again, I said, crap, I'm already here. I went in the house, got in bed, tried to go to sleep, but couldn't get this stuff out of my mind. Since I couldn't sleep, I got up, went to my car, the only cassette player I had, <laughs> and listened and took notes for another couple of hours until I could finally go to sleep. Within a couple of weeks, we mailed our first three-step a letter to Alaska retailers. I happened to be traveling the day the letters hit the prospects. I called in to get messages and got Jan on the line, and I still remember her saying, the phones have been ringing like crazy. Please add this to the story you got from Tracy. Uh, 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 it, it is all absolutely true. What is BTW? Thank you. By the way, it is... It is all... It is all... See, I should ask you, shouldn't I? Say... I was thinking, well, um, it's all absolutely true, okay? Now, that is not an uncommon magnetic marketing story. I mean, the specifics are, I don't think I have another guy that worked on a ski hill and, you know, I'm not even sure I have another one that his only cassette player was in his car. Um, but I have a lot of people who, I got one from a guy who right after he bought it, he and his wife were going on vacation, art gallery owner, he and his wife were going on vacation uh, to the Amazon River, and he's in the boat, parrots and alligators, and she's aggravated at him because he's working with his magnetic marketing system while they're floating down the Amazon River because he didn't want to stop. Okay? I got a lot of them. Okay? That ain't accident. The product was engineered that way, to be engaging, involving, addictive, this is engineered from the ground up to be that addictive, to get somebody involved. didn't happen by accident. So strategic thought about your product, okay, and point of entry. I also gave you, don't flip to it now, it's long, but it starts on page 50. Um, and if Mary Ellen Tribby was here, she would certainly recognize it. I gave you one of the best in all of my swipe files, the best new member welcome piece okay, for, from a copy standpoint. It's from uh, an Agora business called the Oxford Club. And um, it is just really cool on so many levels. So you will want to pay attention to that. Almost out of time and we're almost out of points. So that'll work out well. Game Changer 12. Businesses birthing businesses. So, here's the deal. 
If you work with business owners, this is true of the business owners you work with, but it's also true of you. So the single most expensive thing we can do in the info marketing business, the single most difficult thing we can do in the info marketing business, and generally speaking, the thing most info marketers like doing least, it's all the same thing, conveniently, okay, is getting new customers. It's the single most expensive thing we can do. It's the single most difficult thing we can do. And for the most part, it's the thing most info marketers like doing the least. The same thing is true of any business owner in any field that you work with. Same thing. Therefore, it would be really smart to leverage the customers we get to the greatest extent possible so we need fewer customers to meet our income targets. Right? So I have always been a small numbers guy. Personally, I would rather make my income targets from the fewest number of people possible rather than the greatest number of people possible because mostly I don't like people. So, <laughs> so, you know, kind of the fewer the better, right? So you do that <coughs> by having businesses birth businesses. So if you look at and you carefully think about Glazer Kennedy, so Glazer Kennedy is fundamentally, as opening gambit, a business for mixed breed of dog, any kind of business owner there is, any size business owner there is, that can be made to be interested in marketing. But now look at, so there was the marketing letter. And then there's the marketing to the fluent letter. And then there's the information marketing letter. Because what do we do? We take a bunch of our members with successful businesses and we convince them they also ought to be an info marketer. Why do we do that? Because it takes one customer and makes him into two customers. That's why. That's a strategic choice. Okay? It takes Grant, who owns Sunyer Buns, and he's a customer now for stuff to help him with his Sunyer Buns business, but we've convinced Grant he should be an info marketer to everybody else in the tanning salon business. Guess what we just did? We just turned Grant into two Grants. Because he still needs to buy a bunch of stuff from us and get a bunch of stuff from us to grow his first business. But now he needs to be here too. Right? So we turned one customer into two customers. Don't miss this. This is really important. It's like really clever on my part. Okay? I mean, it's like it impresses me. Okay? It should impress you. And you should look for a way to do it in your own business. Because the leverage of turning one customer into two customers is really dramatic. Okay? And now you need half as many to hit your income targets, okay? Game changer 13. Product profitability, number one, okay? So we gotta focus on the profitability of what we do, not just volume, all right? Secondly, brand development. Yes, brand development, but as a happy byproduct, not as a thing you directly buy, but brand identity matters. The no BS identity 
Well, I want to show you just how valuable the no BS identity is. This is it's too big for this, so I've got to kind of show you. Well, I'll show you this side first, okay? And then I'll show you this side where the logo is. So here is, this is Garden of the Gods Medical Marijuana Dispensary in Denver, Colorado. And our brand is so valuable that they have stolen our no BS identity to sell grass with in Colorado. That's how valuable this brand is and how universal this brand is. I suspect it's a member, but I have not investigated. But that's what you call brand, universal brand power. When they are stealing your brand to sell dope, um, <laughs> that, you know, that's doing something as far as I'm concerned. Okay? So brand development, you want brand identity that's meaningful to your customers. That's what you want. Okay? That, they, that they want to have up on the wall. That they want to have on a shirt. That they want, how many, as you'll learn more, how many of you in here own at least one piece of No BS slash Glazer Kennedy logo apparel? Raise your hands. Look around, you'll learn more by looking around. Okay? Now here's why that's important. Okay? And a lot of people think we just did that because Bill was in the clothing business and, you know, he thought that's not because integrating yourself into the daily life and culture of your customer is important. Right? So the best guys at it in the world are Disney. Right? You go into any Disney person's house, you don't have to be there very long, including ours, and you realize these people are Disney freaks because there's Disney crap everywhere. And we keep adding more Disney crap. The latest thing I got, which is really cool, is a giant talking Disney clock. And every hour it goes off and it makes noise and goofy sings. And, you know, it's like really annoying. Um, guess what people are getting for Christmas this year. Um, uh, see, I like to give parents of young children drum sets. That's like my, that's just, I like that better. Than, like drum sets and a gerbil. You can't, beat, you can't beat that for a Christmas gift, can you? For like a 12 or 13-year-old. And they live in a small house. See, perfect. Um, um, so the fact that people are wearing the apparel, the fact that they got all the books on a shelf and they see them every time they walk in their office, the fact that they got a mouse pad, that, that, that all matters. Okay? Because you bond them, you keep them, you retain them. Okay? Game changer. I was going to show you this, but I'm not going to show it to you. So, I think we're at the end, are we? Game changer 14. Confederacy. So, confederacy is what we make possible for people. And you want to make it possible for your people, too, if you can. Okay. Confederacy is all about alliances of various kinds that benefit everybody who's involved, right? And create a fraternal aspect to your business, which is a pain of disconnect if it is broken. So over a long period of time, so I belong to the National Speakers Association for many, 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 many years. So it's a trade organization for professional speakers. Most 
lifers remain in NSA and continue to go to NSA meetings, not for the meetings. The goal, because of the fraternity they have established with a bunch of the other members. That's why they go. That's why they continue to participate. They go because they have strategic alliances with other members and with vendors, and they continue to participate for that reason. Okay? We know that's important. We build it into ours. We intend to do more, and you should build it into yours as well. So Confederacy also features mastermind groups, and you should all be running these in your businesses. Okay? Information and experience sharing it gives your people speed. Association applied. Okay? It actually makes it work because it's facilitated by you, by somebody who knows what they're doing. Shared resources. Okay? And syndicates where people get together and somehow find ways to make money together. Okay? So, like very recently in our groups, two people, both titanium members, have figured out they can share leads. Okay? One can use the other one's unconverted leads and vice versa. What did that just do? It cut both of their lead costs by half. Or it allows them to spend twice as much to get a lead. Okay? Um, I could give you two other examples. So if you can make these things happen at the top of the pyramid for your best people, your best people will stay with you longer, want to be involved with you, and the rest of your people will see more benefit and want to participate with, with you. As a quick mention, uh, titanium one is virtually full, titanium two still has a little room, and platinum still has, has some room. So if you haven't made up your mind whether you want to work with me in a group setting on your info marketing business for the next year, now would be a very good time to make up your mind. Um, and if you lost your form, they have forms at the back of the room, and you can get a form. Uh, and I gave you the dates up top, so you now know the dates. Um, so again, I'd love to work with you in one of my groups. But again, I encourage you, build this into your info marketing business at the top of your pyramid. Stretches the top of the pyramid, stretches price, creates better members, creates champions for all the other members to see. You might even think about, I'll tell you a really cool strategy right before we close. You'll like this. So in the financial advisor niche for the past year, uh, with my client, we've run seminars to bring in new people. And we have a mastermind program, and we have to run mastermind meetings. So we have two-day mastermind meetings. And we have a two-day seminar to bring in new financial advisors. So since I don't like to work any more than I have to, and for other reasons, so here's what we did. If I had a pen, but I don't. Oh, yeah, I got a pen. I will make a visual aid. All right. So here is day one of the mastermind group. Here is day two of the mastermind group. Here is day one of the seminar, but this is the same day. And here is day two of the seminar. Okay. Same hotel, mastermind groups upstairs, seminars downstairs. Okay. There happens to be two of us. So on the overlap day, when Matt is in with the mastermind group, I can be in the seminar. 
when Matt's in a seminar, I can be in a mastermind group. Now, that's efficient, right? But what's more important is the mastermind group's second day ends at 4 o'clock. Okay? For most of them, that's just late enough they can't get a flight out of Cleveland. Okay? So they're going to stay over. Okay? So it's no skin off their nose to be paraded over here to the seminar and be put on a panel from 4 to 5 for the new folks. Okay? So we have champions. We don't have to ask them to come. They're there. And they're just finishing two days of a great mastermind meeting, so they're in a pretty good mood. They can be trotted in now to work as salespeople for the benefit of the new people. And since they can't get a flight out, they're also going to be there that evening. And where are they going to be when the seminar lets out? They're going to be in a bar, right? That's where they're going to be. And we are in a hotel that only has one bar. Therefore, they're going to co-mingle after the fact, too, which means for another few hours they're going to work for free as salespeople with the new people. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? I thought you would like that. Okay. You've been listening to one of our gold members-only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a Diamond member and get access to the Diamond members-only podcast as well. On top of that, you'll also get access to the whole enchilada with all dance courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to Diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.